Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Not The Gear, The Photographer Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be in your ears in a highly hygienic and digital way. I'm joined once again by Dan Emley, who is linked to me magically through the power of technology from New York. Good evening, how are you doing? Uh, and we say magically, but it's actually been quite hard work this week, hasn't it? Yes, it has. We've had a lot of uh, pre-production issues, but I think we've managed to get over those uh, rather well, thankfully. Yes, and I can say to you that if you ever have to work with Dan in a professional capacity, he really does make online meetings entertaining. That's all I can really say. I think we should leave it at that, just in case get any lawsuits. Wow. So you spent too long in America, haven't you? I have. I'm worried about being sued every two minutes. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, moving straight on, we're going to start with the news as ever. And the first thing that caught my eye this week in the news was that Leica M10 monochrome rangefinder camera has coming out for a very reasonable $8,295. I don't have a UK price, but that's lots. So that's a 40 megapixel black and white rangefinder. The sensor chip is black and white only. But other than a talking point, is it really worth having a true monochrome image sensor in your digital camera? Well, for for, uh, $8,000... Or whatever it is, it's uh, it's a it's a crazy price. Um, considering you can have the non black and white one for fifteen hundred cheaper, um, and it's a crazy thing too. If you really like the police, the Andy Sumner's edition is available for fifteen thousand dollars. If eight thousand dollars was um, wasn't enough for you to spend in one go, um, I think it's pretty crazy. Um, as much as I love Leica, um, they make great cameras. Um, they're beautifully built. Um, I did. Would you really notice? You, I always um, think of them as aspirational cameras, in that they have a great brand, but frankly, nobody truly needs a Leica for whatever they're doing. Um, no, no. I think I think it's um, it, it's a lifestyle experience kind of thing, more than a um, will this help me with my photography in any way? No, it won't. Um, but um, you know. I, I, I struggle with Leica, even though I, I I love the look of them. Of course, I'd have to have a, I'd love to have one, um, and I could rub my beard and tell people how wonderfully built it is in Germany by hand by little German elves somewhere. Um, and it, and it is a fine beard that you'd be rubbing. You know, and, and I considered getting the Leica SL2 as well, um, which I went out and bought the S1R Lumix instead, which is basically the same thing, um, minus the build quality, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if anyone would notice the difference between a regular Leica M and converted into black and white. And then you looked at this M10 monochrome image. Would it be any different? Um, I'd struggle with that. I think, especially for that kind of money, I think I'd keep the 1500 in my, in my bank account and spend it on something a bit more useful than uh, a black and white only camera. But if, you know, if people like shooting photojournalism, I guess, uh, and and making nice artistic pictures if they feel it it, it adds to them in any way fair play to them but uh, for me uh, no I don't think so. Imagine how annoyed you'd feel if you were in a situation where you suddenly wanted some colour and you couldn't just flick the switch. Right, yeah, that's right. You couldn't. Um, it'd be a bit of a challenge, wouldn't it? Certainly. But you, I guess you could colour it afterwards in post processing somewhere somehow. Um, but that sounds yeah, fun. but that'd that sounds be, like a lot these of are the colours I remembered. It's not quite the same. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess there is some argument that having every single one of the the individual pixels exactly consistent must be slightly helpful. Obviously, you, you leave out the uh, the colour array, right? Um, so presumably, the photo sites are a bit bigger, right? If it's truly manufactured that way, but and I wonder, does it? I wonder if that actual sensor records it in colour anyway and there's some conversion that it does. I mean, does it actually record in black and white straight off the sensor? Does it read it in as black and white? Okay, the blurb says, newly developed 40 megapixel true black and white sensor. So the sensor itself is not capable of doing colour, which gives them a better base ISO, uh, 160 instead of 320. Do you know, the thing is, all those old black and white photos that you sort of picture, you know, classic street photos, that kind of thing that you associate with Leica cameras. They're shot on film. Right. But yeah, I, 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 I'm not too sure I'd want to spend that money. Unless I really loved shooting in black and white. I was a documentary kind of street photographer 
maybe might want this. I, I think for a, a, a pro, maybe a nice camera to put in there to pose with and rub your beard, as aforementioned. Yeah, I think it's something to have and talk about with your photographer buddies once you've already got the actual useful cameras that you have in your life. Yeah, I can imagine there's a very large meetup group somewhere of people which go along and compare their likers. Yeah. Pretty sure that exists somewhere, even without me looking. I think that that would be a very interesting group to go and hang around with for the day. It seems like a lot of time and money researching and developing an image sensor chip. Right. It, It would only work for Leica, wouldn't it? It would. If Sony came out with the A7 then. This is the A7, but it'll only do black and white. No one's going to rush out and buy that. Yeah, and then we're going to charge you nine grand for it. But then we're going to get someone famous to sign the top of it and make it even less megapixels. Um, And then we're going to charge another eight grand on top of that. Yeah, I mean, my phone's got a black and white only thing, um, you know, in (laughs) Apple Photos. And you can do it after. Or you can make it, like, sepia. (laughs) I would make a sepia-only camera. That's what Sony should do. Bring that out. In your face, Leica, here comes the Sony sepia camera. Okay, well, I think we can move on from uh, Leica bashing. Yeah, I, I mean, we can we can complain about this indefinitely, but I think this is an item of gear that suggests that the gear market has gone a bit far. Right, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. But however, the one thing I would say, I think once you bought this Leica M10, because it's so unique, you wouldn't need to upgrade that ever because it would just be something that you would use to do that kind of street photography kind of feel. Yeah, at no point is that resolution going to mean that you're going to need a different camera right. for that kind of work, is it? Right. Once you, you, it, it will be a camera forever. Maybe it's the, like the next antique camera. It'll be really worth having in 100 years' time. And I think the same applies with Leica as it does with Alfa Romeo. You know where Jeremy Clarkson says you're not a true petrol head unless you've owned an Alfa Romeo I think with photography, you're not a true photographer unless you've owned a Leica. Although for very different reasons, because with the Alpha, it's because you're going to spend a lot of time under the bonnet learning about how cars work. <laughs> I mean, from a strokey beard perspective, rather than how much you're going to push it. I'm not saying that Alpha these days you push them, because I rather love Alpha, um, and I'm a little bit hurt by that comment. But they were famously unreliable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not so much now. They're pretty reliable now. Thankfully, sports, sports. <laughs> but they always, they were always uh, Alfa Romeo were always, uh, um, you know, they always served themselves. It was, you know, as uh, it, it was a bit of art, right? The only thing that it served with itself, and I think it's the same with that particular Leica camera. I think, yeah, that's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, less cynical than I maybe was drifting towards. <laughs> I was trying to put a bit more of an artistic spin on it, I guess. I think it's, I think it's a great idea if you've got. $10,000 to waste. But remember, you can always sort of try black and white. And a lot of cameras will give you a black and white mode. If you want to sort of think in black and white automatically, Yeah, you can you set the, the preview into black and yeah, white, can't you? you? Which is weird. The EVF but, into black and white, that's right. Um, and you, you can go. call it Leica M10 mode if you wanted to, to make yourself feel better. Yeah, you should. They should, they should come up with names like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, moving on to the second thing we've seen this week. Um, Actually, this is one um, you should explain because it was you who first tweeted me about it. Yeah, so I was uh, I was actually alerted to it from um, a guy called Blake Griffin, um, very good photographer. Um, he replied to a story which um, got my interest, and it was from a photographer who looks like she's uh, some kind of uh, wedding photographer or a, um, a family photographer, and she said. Um, I don't want to shoot models. Thank you very much. Um, I find it much harder to shoot real people um, rather than shooting models all day because they already look beautiful and they're not difficult to shoot, which is basically her point in a nutshell. And her name uh, was Missy Missy Mawak. Yes. It was a blog post that was reposted by Petapixel. Right. Yeah. they, They picked it up off her website, I think, or her blog. Yeah, and I thought that was quite interesting out of context, because if you, I mean, obviously, this is the the first I'd ever encountered Missy, M-I-S-S-Y-M-W-A-C, and she's got a .com, she's got a Tumblr, she's uh, out there on Twitter, and she's uh, clearly got, you know, a lot of thoughts on photography that are well worth reading. It's, you know, an interesting and different slant, but taken on its own, it's it's a bit of an odd thing, because the argument seems to be centrally 
taking pictures of models is too easy. Right. And I think what she's forgetting about is the, um, or it, no, in my opinion, I think there's a couple of things that she's, that she's not taken on board here. Um, and again, I didn't really, I, when I first, when I first spotted this, I was like, is this, is this, uh, is this a satirical piece or not? I couldn't work it out. Um, and it was pointed out to me that it, it, it wasn't. It was a. It was. It sounded like a point of view. So I've taken it on face value. Um, I, I haven't spoken to Missy, so I don't know. The link will be in the show notes. So you know, um, and if you don't know what to do when I say that, you can usually just swipe up from your screen on your phone and find all the notes and links that we mention. And if you can't, then you'll find uh, notthegear.com. There'll be a post with all of the links, that kind of thing. Yeah, and if you follow if you follow Adam and I on on Twitter, normally we hunt down stories on there, so you can get an idea of what's coming. <gasps> Don't give away our secrets. I know. Shh. <laughs> but anyway, after after she said all that, I went off and was and, and was thinking about it, and I think one of the big pieces that she's missing here was like, okay, fine. It yes, it is difficult to go out and shoot. You know, real people, as you would call it, they come in all different shapes and sizes. They've got kids that are running around, all that kind of stuff. So she's looking at it from a non, what I would consider a non-commercial aspect. When you when you go off and you'll get given a, 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 a remit from an agency or you get given a, a brief from someone to say, go out and shoot this. This is what I want to see. You've got to go and find someone that fits that brand or fits that 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 brief pretty well you've got to make sure that you go out and you've got the right clothing for them that make sure it suits the branding if you've not been given them and then once you've done that shoot you've got to go back to that client and say this is what i've got this is how i think everything that's been shot has fits that brief invariably yeah that's great but the pressure is actually fairly high because that's your paycheck that's that's how you live that's your your income coming in right yeah plus if you make a model look bad I mean, that's really on you, isn't it? Right, that is, yeah. And okay, granted, they're paying they're paying probably ten times what a you know a, a family would pay for a photo shoot, or um, you know a couple would pay for a photo shoot, or just one lady wanted a, a her own you know mini mini session done, right? Um, your client is paying probably ten times. It's ten times the pressure. You've got to make sure you've got makeup people there as well to get that right. And I think that no, okay, making a beautiful girl look horrible is is a is a pretty horrific thing to do. But it does happen. You get people see getting their lighting wrong. You get people getting their composition all, all messed up. With a with a client that is, um, you know, it's just a family or, or or some kids running around. You can normally give yourself a little bit of wiggle room. But with commercial clients, I don't think you get that luxury at all. You just don't. So I went back and, and Blake was talking about it and he said, you know, he completely understood, but he hadn't looked about it, looked at it from the commercial aspect, I don't think. I think maybe that's part of, you know, the, the story is that she actually prefers the experience of working with families. And I think, you know, you read, you read the whole post um, and she's saying, quote, real clients are different. Heck, photograph a family and odds are good you'll find at least one member who is less than thrilled to be there and someone else who showed up wearing the Hello Kitty t-shirt everyone else told her not to wear. Right, right, it happens right. with real clients. I think I think what there really is is a, is a story of sort of enjoying the experience of working with families and I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. Right, and, and she does go on and talk about, you know, um, one of the points that, that Blake raised on the, back, on the back of this, and if you're listening, Blake, hello, how you doing? Um, you know, he got a, he he mentioned a quote. Um, Anyone can take a beautiful a photograph of a naked woman, but you know a great photographer based on how much their subject is wearing. Very profound. Um, <laughs> um, well, and, we, I guess you wouldn't want too many naked family shoots. <laughs> I think he was more talking about the commercial aspect um, um, versus you know what people are wearing, and I, I think there's another when you look through Instagram and you look through some of the most popular. Um, Instagram and um, male or females invariably they've got their shirt off in some capacity I'm talking about the men as well as the ladies you know they're showing quite a lot of flesh and they've got a bazillion followers right so I think there's probably an element of truth to that but I think well, with a with a with a commercial side of things I think that uh, I think that we're, we're, we're short selling the ability of people to go out and make a really good living out of getting into situations that are fairly challenging all right, yeah, I think so. I'm just going to read out Missy Moak's personal bio on her Tumblr page because I really enjoyed that as well. Okay, go. She wrote, photographer, eater of bacon, drinker of vodka, and your guide through the murky waters of professional photography. I, I think um, there's an insight there. and I, I really want to find out if she eats the bacon because bacon is nice <laughs> or if she eats the bacon because she's on one of those keto diets where you can't have any, like, 
chips. I see. Well, is that like Natkin's diet? Uh, well, you, you just eat fat, basically. Yeah, you eat so much fat that your body has to learn how to digest fat right. properly. I think this is yeah. sort of the thing. So you can have vegetables that haven't been in the ground, and you can have meat. Sorry for any vegetarians out there that are listening, and vegans, we do apologise. And you can even have cheese and egg, but yeah. I don't know. Dan was kind enough to say he thought I looked like I'd lost weight, and uh, believe me, this is not how I've achieved it. <laughs> I'm starting Imagine to get... anything where I was able to eat unlimited cheese. I'm starting to get suspicious now. <laughs> On the naked uh, photographer, just while you mentioned uh, naked people, one of the weirdest things, because photographers do seem to have quite a lot of an interest in naked people, don't they? Um, and one of the weirdest things I ever saw was at uh, Photokina, um, where stood in the corridor between some of the stands was a model to promote the Greta Macbeth colour chart. Uh, she was wearing nothing but a body ink Greta Macbeth colour chart, which had been put across her chest. I see. Nothing but. So was... So painted on. Just to get... Um, just for mental image purposes, of course. So... Was it painted no, yeah, all pretty tall, her, blonde? Was it all over her body, or was it just, you know, almost like someone had uh, uh, pixelated no, various was, areas with a colour chart? Was, uh, yeah, if you like, yeah, nearer that. No, so mostly most of her was just normal skin, and then it was about the sun, you know, okay, about right. forty okay. centimeters. It was, you know, just covering her chestal protrusions. Okay, that's interesting, but not covering really because it was paint. Right. Um, and we leave that little image. Yeah, I don't mind. think you could, I just. I don't think you'd get away with that. I don't think you'd get away with that now. What do you say? Just leave that little image in your mind, just for a couple of seconds before we move on to the next. And we will leave it in Dan's mind a little longer because he's smiling quite a lot right now. I'm not. <laughs> Much. No. Okay. Third. Uh, third item on our, our, our news thing, and I try and stick through. Um, there's another one uh, that. Dan has brought to my attention. A photographer called Christian Schaefer has converted a Winnebago into a snazzy portable apartment, which is now her complete photography life. Right. Is that the whole thing? Yes, I think that is, yeah. And so she moves around the country um, as a a digital pikey, if you like. Um, And she lives in that and goes from place to place. Um, and it's uh, operational headquarters for her photography work. I think she's a travel photographer. It would make sense if you have to, you know, travel around. And you know, I, I do wonder if uh, the, the, she's taken the travel photographer thing a bit too far. I think so. Yeah. But let's let's look at the pros and cons about living in a caravan, um, basically, while being a photographer. I think there's a few issues we need to address in in all of this. Well. Um, I think my benefits list is very small. My cons list is very long. Okay, I can tell you my suspected benefits, Go on, if you like. Well, I imagine it would make a really good YouTube and or uh, Instagram feature. Yes, it would. Social media is important these days. Yes, it would. Um, it's also very romantic. It's a romantic way of, of being a travel photographer. You're romanticising it, on, you know, which then becomes very good for publicity, which obviously she's got because it's been uh, all over the news. Not necessarily the most original, because other people have done this before, haven't they? Yeah, there was a photographer uh, who spoke on uh, Nikon Sound, I think, a couple of years ago at Photo Plus in uh, New York. I cannot remember her name, which is very embarrassing. I'm wondering if she's still doing it. I wonder if they have, how short-lived or not that was. And maybe we're not hearing from her anymore because she's run out of phone data and she's stuck somewhere with flat tyres. <laughs> maybe there is a limit to the maybe. amount of time you can spend. In. And that would be definitely in the cons list. Um, I think other worries that I would have is um, how many clothes you could take with you. As a travel photographer, you're going to get fairly dirty with all that wandering around and rolling around in the dirt to get the best picture you possibly can. I'm not suggesting ever. Yeah, you're going to want to keep in like warm areas so you can have smaller clothing right um uh there's the power issue yeah you're needing regular hookups um and the storage of all your images what do you do with them because if you've got no wi-fi you can't exactly put them on a hard disk somewhere on your trailer (laughs) particularly when you start bouncing around all over the place when you're driving oh there goes my nas with all of my images on it um you'll be replacing discs fairly often i would have thought there's a security aspect as well so as you can't use your uh, camera gear. Where do you put that? 
That's a good point. Is the 2019 Dodge Ram ProMaster 1500 high roof cargo van right. um, the securest of vehicles? Right. You'd have to check. Also, what if you get a travel job that's not accessible by road? Say, say you know, say she gets a gig in London, right? She'll, she'll have a bag for her gear that she can take on the trip. But do you drive up to the airport, hand a vehicle and the keys to the valet, you know, parking service, uh, where they take it, oh, my they take it to horrible, dirty car park somewhere near wherever you've chosen to fly from, and you've got to pray that no one robs wow. all of the rest of your stuff before you go back. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I've done right. it, you know, just left a car, I find myself checking the mileage and looking a bit nervous about, you know, picking it up. Right. Uh, no one's going to do a Ferris Bueller with your, uh, with your Winnebago, which so, um, you know, they're going to drive that round the block. But, uh, but yeah, I do check my mileage. Well, if I'm going to the uh, airport, been saying that I live, I live, I live fairly close to JFK, so I don't have to worry about that ah, kind yeah, of thing anymore. Thankfully, I just worry about air pollution instead. Oh, yes, you have it gently resting on your home every time. Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that, I think that um, it's a very romantic way of thinking, I'm going to be a travel photographer and float around the country in this wonderful beast of a vehicle. But uh, I, think, I think that it would be very short-lived after, after a period of time um, or used as a publicity tool, which I've got a very big suspicion. Oh, we are cynics, aren't we? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Actually, to be honest, I, I love driving around with you. Well, we we took a um, we hired a Winnebago to drive the Denali Highway in um, Alaska. So we uh, those of you who don't know Denali Highway is 137 miles, I think. If I remember off the top of my head, that's a very accurate number to be very approximated. At the same time, it's about 137 miles anyway, and it goes from Paxson to Catswell um, and. Um, only the first 20 miles of it are tarmac, so the rest is all off-road. Um, uh, so we took a Winnebago from, um, or a motorhome, I should say, from uh, Fairbanks to Anchorage, and we, we drove down the Richardson Highway and went across the Denali Highway. Um, um, a pleasant experience. We had a great time, but wow, did that thing rattle when it went over the bumps. It was crazy. Um, so I, I can't imagine living in one of those things long term. I think that I'd get a bit, uh, I'd be dying for a hotel after, well, I was dying after a hotel after three days, to be honest with you. At least one hotel I could have a good wash in. I've done, I mean, I've done crazy long journeys in the US. I've driven from um, Miami to San Francisco. That's a shit. But we had a convertible, you know, and Motel 6s, right. which are not particularly expensive. You just see them all the time. Well, Motel mo- Motel 6 is like a static mobile home with a bathroom. Exactly, it's a bit smellier because you have to allow them yeah. to clean yeah. it, not which is not always right. ideal. But Yeah, it reminds me of a crime scene from Dexter, even when you first walk in. But that's in. a nice sort of, I mean, for those of us you know, who usually live in England, it feels like a treat to be in what looks like an American crime drama every night. <laughs> if you want an inspiration to write a book about, about a, a, a kind of a crime scene go and stay in a Motel 6 um, you'll get lots well, of ideas Actually, the... there's probably lots of DNA there you could probably take one of those DNA sticks move around the hotel and you've probably got a good crime scene that you could see yourself building up in uh, underneath the purple light but anyway I digress and I believe they were so named because they were originally $6 a night that's how many minutes you would normally spend in the room before running out. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, nonetheless, I, I recommended the experience. And, and to be honest, if you are just going to be able to fall asleep, they're still nicer than the, some travel lodges in the UK. They are trying with travel lodges, though. Well, the, last time I, the last time I stayed in a travel lodge, uh, the person uh, in the room next to me was either the best person at sex in the world and really wanted everyone to know, or had simply fallen asleep and left their porn machine running <laughs> their porn machine aka their laptop um the uh i think we, me and you stopped at a travel lodge travel lodge once we had we had breakfast there and missy would have been proud of the bacon because <laughs> the bacon was good <laughs> well yes since we brutally murdered that uh, subject and are looking at its outline we can move on to yeah. our creative section so every week i try and uh, ask uh, dan a as the photography expert, uh, a creative point, and maybe argue it out. And this one's definitely one I, I feel like I can take one side of and he can take another, which is 
can you achieve everything photographically with a modern mobile phone? Do you really need a camera? He is vigorously shaking his head. Okay, so let's go through like the key points, item by item, that a photographer would think about. So, go on. First objection. Right. First objection is the cons of stick-on lenses. Now, um, so you're, you're, you're you can only leaping so in with the assumption that I will not be satisfied with the three lenses that I already have on my uh, iPhone 11. No. No, you won't. I think you'll be disgusted with them in one way or another, optically, at least on two of them. I think the main lens you might be okay with. The wide one is a bit iffy in the corners and a bit squidgy and soft. Um, and the problem with lenses on, on, on all camera phones is that that lens has been sitting in your pocket, sitting in your in the in your purse, ladies, if maybe, if you could have one, um, or pocketbook if you're from America. Um, and um, that lens over time gets optically fatigued is probably the best way I could put it. Oh, but don't worry, you get um, a new phone every year, right? <laughs> well, that's true, but you wouldn't get you wouldn't replace your camera every year. Um, but the uh, I think the the optically the lenses get fairly fatigued over the course of their lifetime. Um, some lenses, um, I think the main lens on most of the cameras are just okay for certain things. Um, digital zoom, you can only rely on so much to do various bits. I just I just see people with mobile phones and taking pictures, and sometimes they're great and they look good. But you want to do anything a bit more a bit more challenging with them? No. I think that that's the right profession. That I mean, that is the professional answer. I think that if you set yourself a reasonable sort of mental limit, which is to say that like two megapixels, roughly the screen resolution of your average mobile phone, is your your quality limit, then you can get up to a four times zoom, i.e., two times digital zoom, two times lens zoom. So you've got a reasonable telephoto distance. At, you know, at a quality which is going to be good enough for Instagram. Instagram, you know, once an image is wider than, it's only a bit over a thousand pixels, isn't it? That's the end of the, that's the cutoff limit. It, yeah, Instagram's a thousand, it's thousand eighty. Something like that, yeah. Pretty much. Um, uh, so yeah, you, you know, within the sort of frame, so within the, the world that you're presenting your photography. Uh, there's, there's a lot you can sort of get away with. I know what you mean about the wide lens. Uh, it's a real treat for me having the wide-angle lens, though, because wide lenses are quite pricey, and I don't actually have a decent wide lens for my uh, my big camera. So I find myself right. going, oh, I could take that, you know, this lovely landscape shot, which I couldn't, or I can bend down and get an unusual angle. Having those lenses, the whole sort of kit bag of lenses in your pocket does really encourage you to take better photos. And I think that there's, you know, for 90%, 95% of photographs, you have got the tools you need now to take an adequate, you know, to frame a picture as you'd like. Right. Some of that edge stuff can be dealt with. I mean, I agree that the wide lens on the iPhone 11 Pro specifically could be better because each lens has its own camera. It's completely sealed. Dust can't get in. And that's that's a huge advantage in many respects. But the, the the downside of that is that the camera, you know, they want to save as much money as they reasonably can on the cameras. So and they they are a physical size. So I think that that's going to lead you to the next point, which I would expect to be aperture. I think that the control element of it, you're limited. To, you're very limited to what they can fit inside that small camera body, i.e., the phone yeah. case. Physics. Um, physics is the ultimate yeah, limitation, physics. you know, you, with the, yeah. because the thickness of the camera or the phone or the thinness means that the image sensor, the bit that, look, you know, the bit that replaces the film has to be tiny because it can't yeah. be that far from the lens. You can't have a big image sensor unless you make the camera block stick out further and have a bigger lens as well. And that adds weight yeah. and all sorts of things. Now the one, the one thing I think it um, it does help. Um, um, I, I do think it helps with creativity. Um, it does spark some creativity in people that I think that would have just been quite happy with a thirty-five or twenty-five millimeter view of the world. Um, now can go a little bit wider and, and start doing some stuff. And when I first bought the um, LG V10, I think it was. I think that was a. 
um, one of the first ones to have a 14 millimeter lens in it or something crazy. I can't remember. Um, I started playing with that quite a bit. I found um, just because I could, not because I wanted to necessarily make anything of them, but I think that it did it did it did help me be a little bit more creative with my mobile phone than it did before. But the, I think again, going back to my point, I think the big problem with with all of this architecture, i.e., the mobile phone architecture, is attached to a bloody phone. So you could be lining up a shot, the phone would go off, or the battery would die. Yeah, but you could be lining up a shot with your big camera, and your phone can go off. And your phone has that sort of annoying, compelling, drags you back, you know, into it anyway thing. Right. And let me ask this: How often do you actually drag those pictures off your mobile phone? And do anything with them? More than I used to. And I'll, I'll tell you the main reason is because I've started to realize how good the Apple Photos app is. You know, with its facial recognition, sorting things out, the fact that it does accept raw files, unlike the Google equivalent. Um, it, you know, it will sort and insert images and, and mix them in with from the other camera and that kind of thing. And, and actually, I find that quite easy to deal with. It's... But you wouldn't necessarily do it for anything meaningful. You'd probably do it for something, you know, if, if you were no, taking it's very, pictures. very much for like my photographs and for things that I would put. But also, right, also actually for things like video jobs, that kind of thing. Um, the integration with Final Cut, for example, is really useful. If you need some stills and the video clips you can get from the phone. Uh, that's surprising. Right. The thing I was going to say that, that sort of surprises me a lot is for everything you lose out, on the pure physics, or for not not everything, but nearly everything. So, you know, long telephoto lenses, there is no magical solution for. But for a lot of the things you lose out on the quality of the physics, you gain in the fact that your phone is a much, much more powerful computer than even the best of big cameras. So with a, with a mirrorless or an SLR, a photo is almost the beginning of the job, isn't it? You aim you, to get the settings right. and you have to get it right, but then you're still probably going to go through a collection you've shot, pick the best ones, and then tweak them. Whereas your phone is capable of achieving quite a lot, possibly a bit more than you'd like creatively, but there are some nice things. There's things like live photo. You take your photo, and then afterwards you can... If, I, if you took the photo and you didn't quite get the decisive moment, Cartier-Bresson bands, you'll be able to play back a little bit forwards and a little bit back until the person's got their feet in just the right position, which you can't do with a big camera, but you may have had a really fast shutter speed and you may have taken lots of photos, but it's not the same. Is that the Apple feature that where you... I don't you, think, I mean, um, Apple do it. I don't think, think they all, kind of, I think other phones have a equivalent feature. I, I, you know what? I've, uh, I've only just upgraded. Well, I say upgraded for the um, loosest possible sense. I've only just changed my phone from a BlackBerry, so um, I wouldn't know about these things. <laughs> no, no, I don't imagine Blackberries were high on the uh, or had put photography high on their list. No, I see it. I just wanted to be able to use a physical keyboard that clicked. Um, but um, so you can guess that <laughs> mobile photography is very low down on my list. But one thing I have seen a lot of people do. Um, and I've seen a lot of people use them in the um, in the construction industry um, to show some of their jobs. They're just quite happy to put a mobile phone on a Osmo, um, on the DJI Osmo, and run around with those. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, the Osmo is a, a stabilizing device, if, if you don't know. Like, yeah, a, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you can just walk around oh. like with these. It's sort of like creating a smooth tracking first-person view shot. It almost makes it yeah. look and like I you're think- walking through a video game world. And I think I think that's where mobile phones uh, really excel. I think is in their very low low uh, cost production for video. I think more than stills. I think that's where they excel because people can access them really easily. They can produce them very easily, um, and they can edit a lot of that stuff straight on the handset. So I think there's a lot of benefits for them having it. But for me, um, and, and again, I've, just to recap, I think it sparks a lot of creativity having lots of different lenses on it. But I think if you do want to do anything this, uh, anything beyond the capabilities of the built-in camera or the built-in lenses, forget it. I think you need to put them in the bin and pick up something. I think else. for a, for 
for some people, things like the the fact that phones now, you know, a photographer would say aperture is important because you can affect the depth of field. And for quite a lot of users, the fact that the phone's AI can detect the subject and distance um, and after the fact apply a depth of field effect or while you're shooting, they're not perfect. They aren't perfect, but they are, you know, for some people that's good enough and for a lot of people it gives it an opportunity and it just shows where things have come with software. The same as you can now get night shows, you know, in the past you'd have had to put the camera on a tripod and, and, you know, to get a proper shot, you still do. But you can get night photos on some phone models where you, it'll take the shot, not get a particularly good shot in of itself, but it'll keep the uh, thing, thing open for a couple of seconds and then process it with its brain to average out what the light should have been over that time. Right. And I think this is where we're going we're gonna to go with photography at some point. And this is probably uh, something we can discuss in detail, I think, and then and maybe in the next podcast. Yeah, I think, I think one after that, maybe. the lesson here is this subject needs splitting into bits, doesn't it? Yeah. So when, when does it stop being photography and when does it start being AI-driven? Where does the creativity stop and where does it start with the computer software doing all the work for you? That's, and this is like when... I mean, that's when, a great um, question. You know, all, Almost, almost to the point where um, digital photography came along, right? Um, and everyone started saying, "You can do everything in Photoshop. You can fix everything in post-production. That's not real photography." Um, now I feel, I feel myself saying, "AI isn't proper photography." And I'll get into. Uh, um, I, I, I know I, I, I kind of talk about how wonderful some of the technology is in some of the new cameras, and I'm going to use one particular example, which is I know I. I bash it regularly, IAF. Um, to me, IAF... It means autofocus, um, autofocus that will spot the actual eye. Spot the eye, yeah, yeah, yeah the it. pupil. And they use it for animals and all sorts of stuff now. And while, yeah, that's pretty useful uh, to some people, um, I've never got to the point where I think, oh, gee, I wish I had IAF. Um, I've managed this long without it. And an actual fact, for me to go and select IAF, whether it be on the Sony or the Nikon, to select it, you still have to go through two button oh, presses God, yeah, to no, get it Yeah, no, it's in. a real faff. Yeah. On the, yeah, the, it's like Sony's signature feature. It's the thing they do better than anyone else. And it's the thing they talk about most because of that. And yet it's still right. really, really difficult. Well, I mean, certainly for those yeah. of us used to modern technology difficult to find it in the menus and to turn it on and to turn it off and right or you've got to make sure you've got it in encoded in a button where invariably you've got to press at least two buttons to make sure you get it locked on the eye now one of the things the nikon does very well it does flick between the eyes very well if there's, if there's two people it lets you flick between the four eyes real quick um so I, I can see why someone like a wedding photographer might need it or someone shooting kids might need it and it's a nice feature to have. But anyway, my point I'm trying to make is I think that um, we're going to get, I think we're going to get into a realm of where AI is probably going to overtake photographer skill, unfortunately. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's, I mean, I, I definitely think we'll bring back this debate, but there's, I guess the crux of it will be, is it the job of the camera to record what the, you know, the person wanted to see, or is it the job of the camera to record their artistic vision of the scene? Are they still being a photographer? Right. And yeah, we're definitely in a bit of a no man's land at the moment. But that's that's still great because that means you can bring a creative vision and you can choose those things. Right. Um, right. I just wonder when they're going to do things like, are they going to be able to fix things like uh, fixing the keystone in, in camera? Yeah. So it, you're not getting... Verticals, it would just constantly stay straight no matter how much you point the camera. I have down. noticed that my phone down. seems to do that. I'm, I'll have to check for sure, but I, it is my impression yeah. that the iPhone 11, not quite perfect, but has definitely does a little bit of that automatically. Right, and that would be interesting to see if, you, if that is actually the case. Because obviously, because it has that, a lot of help, doesn't that, it? It has the gyros from the. It has information that a normal camera doesn't have. Because the phone knows what right. angle it's being held, that kind of thing. So, right, and I can see that technology probably coming to a, a camera at some point, particularly with, you know, the phone now. Uh, the camera's now got Bluetooth. It's got Wi-Fi. It's got everything that the phone has, other than GPS, um, uh, a gyro sensor, um, and a SIM card. 
Do you know? Do you know what piece of technology I have, I don't really understand that you don't get in phones? Uh, sorry, in, in cameras. What? Um, I can understand why you wouldn't get it in phones. Is inside the body of the camera. Presumably, it would be possible to have one or two retractable neutral density filters. Well, Canon have got it on their on their lenses now. They've got the front loading ones, haven't they? But that's you still have to slide it in and out, right? There's no just button. And if it was in the body, you wouldn't have to have it for individual lenses. No. Well, you could, yeah, you could probably train the sensor to do it, but. Um... I mean, at that point, you would just use the underexposing, uh, you know, you'd just underexpose it by a certain number of stops. But I guess if you want to do any more than five... Yeah, but that's... If you want to underexpose that bit further, if you want to do that long exposure shot... Well, you'd, you'd, you'd underexpose it by five stops at the most, um, and then you would leave the shutter open to compensate for that. Um, but, I mean, again, in, 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 in bright scenarios, that would only go so far... Um, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that would be nice to have. It would just be cool not to have to fiddle with screwing something on and stuff and just to flick a switch, you know, because... I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, is there cameras that have got that? I don't know. Maybe we can start... Let not, yeah, anyway, let us know yeah, in the comments or on, the, on Twitter. <laughs> um, or, you know, otherwise, um, I have that pattern. I sent it yesterday. It's mine. Uh, or you've just sent someone out in Sony that's just gone yeah, off no, and registered well, it. Yeah, no, I realise. I should and it to be realised they've been beaten by the punch. Well, they'll probably yeah they'll probably find that some weirdo licence uh, took took the patent out years ago, and that's why you don't have it because nobody wants to. Right. Yeah. Lord Lucan has it. I'm <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine. I just mentioned him in a podcast yeah. for the uh, the American audience. Go Google Lord Lucan. Yeah, it's it's worth it. Honestly. Anyone under the age of 35, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because they haven't yet done a a BBC drama about it, have they? Um, But you'll definitely find a weird Channel 5 documentary. Yes, you probably would. And it's probably not on Netflix, if you go looking for Lord But don't worry, they they are rapidly expanding their weird documentary. uh, (laughs) And uh, if you have Amazon Prime, probably they're already, because they have really padded out with the uh, allotment. Lots of weird stuff. On Amazon Prime, you get the, uh, the the Grand Tour and weird stuff, and that's about uh, it. And Good Omens, um, Good Omens uh, is fantastic. Oh, uh, Goliath is good on it too. I enjoy that. And Bosch. Other than those, it's all weird. I wonder if Bosch was actually got the inspiration from being the author stayed in the Hotel Six. I don't know. I thought Bosch was a kind of power drill. So yeah, you need to watch it. It's an LA um, crime detective drama, and it's very good. Um, I watched the first series and then I went and bought the 15 books or whatever and started reading them while I had my knee surgery. Anyway, um, we're digressing. We are digressing and we're very much reaching our time limit. I know. And we've got one more story to do. We do? We do. We were talking about um, can you stay in love with photography when it's work? Oh, you're right. That's uh, fallen off the side of my scrolling spreadsheet thing. I know. I know. I know. Well, this uh, this is going to be an extended version of the podcast this week. Um, yes, I hope you don't mind. I mean, that is the magic of the medium, isn't it? We can just keep recording until we stop. Or... Right. So if your, if your journey to work was more than 44 minutes, which is the runtime of last week, we apologise. Maybe we'll just give you a bit more uh, stuff to listen to on the way home. So anyway, now you're on the way home, we can continue. Um, Labour love, yes. So um, can you stay in love with photography when it's your job? Yeah. And that was really my question to you because it's more your job than mine. Um, you know, yes, you can, but I think there's some caveats for that. I think it depends on how much that you shoot during the week and what you're shooting as well. Um, I find that the way that I stay in love with photography is sometimes putting the camera down and, and leaving it in a box somewhere so I don't take it out. I don't take it with me to some places if I'm going out in the in the in the early evening where you know sometimes I know there's might there, there might be a uh, there might be a nice sunset or there's probably going to be something very good for me to photograph. I resist the urge to take it out. <laughs> and by that, he means his camera. Uh, camera, yes. Um, I think that I I don't want to take it, a picture every single time I see something nice. Sometimes I just want to leave it to my memory and, 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 and take it in and, and, and just have that as, a, as, a, as an experience. Sometimes when you pick the camera up um, and you're looking at something nice to take a picture of, um, 
you take yourself out of that experience. You take yourself out of that moment. Yeah. I mean, that's not even a, a professional thing. That's roughly what I thought about my dad for almost my entire youth as he got the camera out and, you know, adjusted the settings. Right. And, you you, you take yourself out of the moment. And so I think that the way that I, that I personally keep enjoying photography is sometimes that I don't want to take the, the, the camera out unless I'm being paid. <laughs> um, uh, and that's how I keep in love with the with the with the with the work. Um, I do take my camera out from time to time, but I like to go out with a very clear mission of exactly what I'm going to do. I know if I'm going to go hiking, I think, well, okay, I know I want to go out and hike, and I want to take some take some shots of whatever, and then I get to enjoy it. But they're pictures that probably I'll edit for me. They'll go on my wall in my house, and I won't be peddling them around all over the place, right? So. I think, or, you know, until, until times, times get, get tough, or, you know, I think that's a particularly good shot. Screw it. I'm going to flog it. That um, I'll, I'll feel that way. But I think that the way I stay engaged is not being engaged sometimes um, is probably the best way I can answer that. Yeah, I think I think that was it. Uh, the other thing is, is, is going out to fight, going out to find new places. So if I had a just a 35 millimeter on and I just wanted to go out somewhere new just to see if I could do a bit of location scouting if you like, rather than taking out my whole entourage of lenses, I'll go out and see if I can find somewhere new, somewhere different to shoot um, with a with an MO of me being able to go back at a later date. That I enjoy. That is that is a lot of fun. But in, in terms of me staying engaged with it, sometimes it's best for me to, to put it down. So give yourself breaks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a really good way of, of dealing with most things that, you know, can be a bit hobbyish when they become work is that there, there is a line and a limit to it, you know, whether, you know, you thought you were going to be the greatest writer of all time or, you know, um, certainly a lot of things that become freelance work as well. There's, there are usually ways of arranging your days so you're breaking things up between, you know, having a few days actually doing the photography or the hardware and a few days dealing with your accountant. Yeah. For example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think with, I think the difference with photography is that, and you could apply that to any creative art. Um, I don't think painters necessarily go through the same thing. I think painters just like to, like to, you know, I'm talking about probably landscape painters more than anything else. They, I think they primarily start as a hobby that turns into something fairly professional, um, um, and they keep doing it. They just turn up anywhere and sit down and start painting, right? Um, I think photography is a little bit different because I think that. Um, people take pictures of a lot more stuff and it's a lot easier to take a picture than do a painting, for example. But um, I think with photography, that, that probably doesn't apply. Um, but it's an interesting point. So maybe what you're saying is you should sort of actually think about it in the same way. You know, the, the painter has to get their box of paints and their easel and all the rest of it when they're sat out. You view that camera bag as something that you have to make a conscious decision to take with yeah. you or not, yeah. rather than something that's always there in the back of the car or... Yeah, there's some similarities to that. Absolutely. No, I think you. I think you're. I think you're spot on there. Good point. Which makes uh, explains why you keep that blackberry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got it actually somewhere. I just, uh, I just got something else. I needed the bigger touchscreen. Do you know what I think I got it? Um, the um, the Autel robotics drone app didn't particularly work very well on um, the blackberry, so I had to. Or at all? No. Or is it an, is, was it an android yeah, yeah, it did work. It was an Android BlackBerry, um, if that makes sense. Um, it did work, but when you went landscape and tried to sign in, it wouldn't let you press the enter key, which was rather annoying, because I don't think the people at Autel actually realised that BlackBerry was still a thing. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's the, the... I mean, part of the reason I've stuck with iPhones so consistently, Android versions of the DJI app tend to be a little bit more crashy. And that can be literally crashy with a drone. Right. Weirdly, that's even true, even with the versions that they sell with the built-in screens, which are effectively tacked on Android phones without the phone. I had to upgrade it just so I could use my drone. Well, there you go. See, I'd say upgrade in air quotes because I think losing that 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 physical keyboard has uh, uh, made me send some pretty weird messages to people. Brief, brief geeky gear moment. But does anyone? Do you remember the Cyan organizer? with the keyboard yeah i'm I'm trying to fly my drone with that no no but uh a company took that same keyboard the one that was like a miniature version of a proper laptop 
um, and put it on a, an Android phone. Oh, yeah, that a was couple a, of years back. Yes, yeah, I, I've got um, some pictures of that somewhere. Um, yes, it was the communicator, whatever they called it. Um, yeah, there's a, a scion that looked like it had been to the gym for way too long. Yeah, yeah, the, the people who brought it um, in the basement of whichever exhibition hall they were in were, yeah, being a bit optimistic, I thought. And I think they sold four of them. But, okay, so, yeah, you don't need a keyboard that much. <laughs> no. Okay, let's, uh, let's, not go, let's not get too far drawn into retro technology because if I get too far drawn into retro technology, you're going to hear a lot about the games I used to play. Instead, thanks very much for listening. And if you enjoyed us or if you're just feeling nice, um, please remember to hit that subscribe button and if you can give us a review because those reviews really help us get found i know i've mentioned the show notes a few times you should find them in whatever app you're listening to us on sometimes you swipe up the screen so if you can't make the show notes work or if you're just feeling like uh, looking at an almost finished website please check out notthegear.com where you'll also find the images and links associated with this week's podcast and of course a link to dan's lovely new website that he has finished and does look great danemilyphotography.com in the meantime we're looking forward to hearing you sorry in the meantime we're looking forward to being back in your ears it'll be at least a week but we've got some guests lined up dan yes we have um in the next few weeks uh, maybe a bit longer he's um just had a uh, a new addition to his family so congratulations to dan redfield he's um uh, a father for the second time. Um, he's going to be coming in to talk about um, the Photo Ventures TV show that he's got in uh, on Amazon Prime, um, and I think it's also in Vimeo on the UK. Um, so he'll be coming in to talk about that and his experiences on his travels. So if you want to hear that and some of the other interviews that we've got lined up, remember to subscribe, and we'll be back in your ears very soon. Bye for now. Bye bye. So we're going to start right off with uh, some new stuff um, and then move into our creative sections. Uh, so it's the beginnings of a format here. Isn't that, isn't that nice? That is. I'm, I'm impressed. Considering how we said about organisation last time round, I'm, um, I'm quietly pleased. Yeah, no, I'm very proud because I've got a spreadsheet now. Um, wow. That's I know, it's That's a dog. I mean, it is. It's... it's Almost optimistic. Um, and we're obviously going to have an edit point quite early on, really. But then, <laughs> do you want to do that bit? Let's do that bit again, if you want.